You're listening to Denver Orbit, featuring voices. I'm going to give you an awkwardly long and uncomfortable list of reasons why you shouldn't shave outside. Stories. Now, he was very outspoken about the effects of of war on himself. The music from Colorado's creative community. Listen at DenverOrbit.com or on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or most other podcast apps. The John of All Trades Podcast is a part of the Denver Podcast Network. In the shadow of the mountains, we speak. You have all made it to the You have all made it, made it, Coming to you from the X-Access, it's John of All Trades with your host, John X. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the John of All Trades podcast, episode 177. I'm your host, John X. Thank you for joining us. Glad to have you back once again. And on this week's show, before I introduce the guest, I gotta give a shout out to one of my friends. And this is one of those weird things where it can be difficult to make friends as an adult. One of my favorite movies of the last 10 or so years is I Love You Man with Paul Rudd and Jason Segel. And that movie is A, hilarious, and B, a really nice snapshot of what it's like being a middle-aged dude trying to make friends with another middle-aged dude. It's kind of awkward sometimes. And I remember I saw Chris at St. Mark's Coffee House, and he was wearing a Revival t-shirt. Now, if you don't know who the Revival is, you are part of roughly, I would guess, 99.5% of the population, but I know them. They are one of the greatest tag teams working in WWE today. At the time, they were in NXT, WWE's developmental territory. So we are deep, deep down the nerd rabbit hole here. But I saw this shirt existing in public, and I go, whoa, no way. Like, what a deep cut from the pro wrestling universe. Excellent. Started talking with them. We started chatting about wrestling. We became friends on Facebook. And Chris works for a company called Warm Cookies of the Revolution. And as I learned more about it, I was compelled by the organization. And I said, hey, man, I want to talk to someone from the organization on my show. Can you make that happen? He goes, yeah. Talk to the founder. Talk to the boss man. Talk to Evan Weissman. And Evan Weissman is my guest on this show. And I loved talking to Evan. Why? Because I love talking to people about issues of civic importance, things that matter to a society, even if I don't necessarily agree with everything that Evan believes in. And certainly I don't agree 100% with all of his beliefs and all, all of his political ideology, but who cares? That would be boring if we all agreed about everything all the time. And I was having this conversation recently with what I think is a future guest on this show, not going to do any spoilers here, but I don't think as a society we spend enough time with those we disagree with. And I don't, I mean, fully disagree with Evan. Like, there's a lot that we find common ground on. But we don't agree with each other 100%. It's easy to get sucked into your own echo chamber and spend zero time with anyone who disagrees with you in any way. And that, to me, is dangerous. Because part of the mark of a good society is being able to engage with people, 
humanize them, empathize with them, find out where they're coming from, find out what their beliefs are. Because as he says in this episode, it's a lot harder to tell someone to go kill themselves or to spew the vitriol and the hatred and the invective when you know a little bit something about them. You can disagree with their ideas. You can go, that is one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. So we need to talk about this a little bit more because A, I need to understand more about where you're coming from. And B, I need to give you a new angle on whatever piece of info it is that you're talking about. And so Warm Cookies of the Revolution is a civic health club, a concept I adore. And it basically seeks to get people involved in their government and recognize that they have ownership over almost everything in their city, the parks, the waterways. The roads, they belong to us. And when you have that concept of ownership, you tend to treat it differently. And that, to me, is a very noble goal. So Evan Weissman, in my estimation, is doing terrific work. Warm Cookies of the Revolution is an organization that is doing important work in the public sphere. And I'm proud to feature them here on the John of All Trades podcast. Before we get there, just a couple of notes. iTunes and Stitcher are two ways you can get brand new John of All Trades content. Just search John of All Trades, J-O-N, of All Trades, and you'll find us on iTunes. You'll find us on Stitcher. You can download us. Hit that subscribe button. You'll get brand new episodes delivered right to your inbox. Or every episode that I've ever done is available for free and forever on the John of All Trades website, J-O-N, of All Trades. That'll be the only plug for now, so let's get to this week's episode. It's Evan Weissman. He is the founder of Warm Cookies of the Revolution, and his episode starts right now. This now just changed. Let's just, uh, you give me advice. (laughs) Just give me advice and I'll take notes. Uh, what are your thoughts on Doc McStuffins? (laughs) (laughs) We, uh, we luckily have, uh, have been trying to keep a lot of, um, pop culture away from him so that he can be raised as a, as a freak, as a freak of nature and, uh, not know anything. No, uh, (laughs) but I mean, that's one way to go. Um, that balance that actually would be good for a show at some point of like, how do you raise a kid that doesn't buy into this like our culture as is, but also isn't a freak who seems yeah. like they were raised you know by a pack of wolves. <laughs> but my Wednesdays are um are they they change I mean they they really do change all the time now. Yeah. Um, except for now we have someone watching him on Wednesdays, which okay. is cool. But I'm gonna watch him on Wednesdays starting in June. So yeah, from so I generally have like from ten till four now to right. do stuff. Yeah, that's that's similar to my deal. I have usually from eight thirty to three thirty. We have no childcare coverage on Thursdays, and so like Thursdays are you know hardcore parenting day. Yep. But we feel very lucky about that. It sounds like similarly, I find this to be a blessing and a curse. It's that I know I'm not going to regret having all this time with my kids. But the downside of that is you spend a lot of time with your kids, and that's like very taxing, and that's exhausting and you end up working around the margins a lot more. Oh my Do you God. find that? I mean, working for yourself or oh, being yeah. in charge of this organization. Yeah. And I, I think I did like a weird, uh, I've been doing a seesaw of it as mm. soon as he was born or whenever I kind of plugged back into work in some way, I was just working crazy late and crazy early yeah. and feeling like I was never going to get anything done. 
And then at some point I've submitted and been like, oh, that it's, I can't be like, oh, I'm going to get back to normal at some point. Like this <laughs> normal is, doesn't exist anymore. It's a different kind of thing. This is a new equilibrium. Yeah. And that is, that is the hardest thing about parenting for me yeah. is that timing bit and around work. Cause I do stuff that I care about and I like, and I spend all my time doing it yeah. and to go to, um, to where it's like, oh, well, you're going to do it a little less or not as good. That has been the most challenging thing. I don't have a job that I'm like, ah. I just, when I'm done, then I'm with my kids and his family time. That's not how I roll. It lives so, in your head, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And most definitely. And, and so, but that bit that you're saying of like, is that's also challenging because my, I want to hang with him Yeah, and it's awesome. And if I have things to do, I'm like, oh man, I hang with you a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to keep that long view of, yeah. of, you know, until he goes to school, right? School, school, kindergarten, first grade, whatever. Mm-hmm. I want to really appreciate this time, but sometimes in the midst of appreciating, it's like trying to be mindful. <laughs> You're like, I know that I'm supposed to live in the present moment, yeah. but at the moment I'm feeling like that's uh, a dumb idea. Well, yeah. I mean, and it's hard not to wish any time away too, oh, yeah. because the challenges, what they are, they're always changing and they're always the most intense challenge. Right. Um, and then you look back, you go, Oh wait, no, this isn't as hard as that. But it, it's just different, yeah. you know, so like it's constantly moving. So staying present is it's something you have to work at, though. You know what I mean? Like it's it's not something where you're just like, oh, well, I'm doing this now. It's like, no, I'm intentionally doing this. And and when you view it as a choice, to me, it becomes easier. Oh, yeah, I think so as well. Like, I don't know uh, if you've ever read um, the Buddhist uh, Thich Nhat Hanh. You ever read that guy? I don't think so. He's. He was cool. I like him because he's not just someone who sits on a mountain, but he he was he did this thing called engaged Buddhism. Okay. So he essentially was in Vietnam. They're getting pounded during a war, and he notices that they're praying. He's a monk, and he's like, we're not doing anything. So he, he did this engaged Buddhism and was a big activist. Anyways, but then his later in life was mostly this uh, stuff on mindfulness, essentially. But he, he's got these great things that when mm-hmm. you're in the right frame of mind, they sound awesome. So it's like washing dishes. Everyone hates washing dishes, the idea of it. But when you're doing it, everyone loves it. Your hands are in warm water (laughs) and you're thinking wonderful thoughts or stopped at a traffic light. What a wonderful time to think about the flowers or whatever it is. So if you have the time to, to be there, it's actually true. It is a very true thing that if you are in the moment, you are just fine. But to get there is man's pain in the ass. It's tough, man. And it reminds me of something I actually heard Billy Bob Thornton say on inside the actor's studio of all things. And this, this is one of those quirky things that just stays with you where he said, he's like, I am almost bipolar. And when I am in a situation, like for instance, I'll see someone's eating alone in a restaurant and I'll go, man, that's great. They got some time to themselves and they're getting something to eat. That's, that's terrific. You know, you can't beat that. And then the other half of my brain will go, well, it's sad that they're alone and it's sad that they have to eat, <laughs> you know, like may, may, it would be easier if we didn't have to eat at all. And he's like, I'm constantly wrestling between those two things. And yeah. I found that interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's a, that's sort of a perfect summation of what we were just talking about. Our, our, we're the first two fathers to ever have this discussion. Oh really? And, uh, <laughs> and so, uh, but that is a summation of it. That's very like, solipsistic yeah. of you. <laughs> uh, but uh, this is Evan Weisman. He is the founder. Is that fair? Is that your title? Yeah. Of Warm Cookies of the Revolution. And it's a kind of a perfect segue because we're talking about you have to 
work at being mindful. And it's almost like you have to work to be civically engaged. And we, you, you refer to Warm Cookies of the Revolution as a civic health club, which to me is a really interesting concept and a term that I'd never heard before. Is that one yours or is that something you'd heard and applied? Uh, I did make I did make the idea of civic health club up. I don't know if it was a good idea because most people don't like it doesn't resonate. They're like, "What the hell is that?" And then warm cookies of the revolution doesn't seem to mean anything either. But yeah, I you got to make them mean something, I guess. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I did make it up because, but but the idea of being civic or obviously is not me. But the but in terms of like. I just was thinking about it a lot and reading people who who, ha- who have a lot of experience and knowledge on it uh, who talk about those things, which sound really boring. Like if you civic right. to someone, maybe they took a civics class yeah. and they somehow know about like the three branches of government or something. Yeah, separation of powers, all that yeah. sort of rote high school stuff. Exactly. And so – but the way that, that it's of interest to me is you know, I kind of come from like po- like radical politics and wanting pretty pretty radical change. And so it's usually in opposition to – what most of us know, which is mm. as consumers, which is kind of a corporate mindset. Mm-hmm. And I just mean that as that's how most of us grow up. We just grow up saying like, I shop here, but I don't shop here. Right. Um, I, uh, and for these reasons, good or bad, you know, this right. is cheap or this is fair trade or this is whatever. You're I like their brand. Like... Yeah. Any, we have an allegiance to that, but what most of us don't grow up with is this mindset of, of collectively owning our community. Hmm. And the example that I always use is, is that bit of ownership, which is, you know, when I ask people what they own, people will say like, Oh, these earbuds and shirt and shoes and purse and car or whatever. And most people don't, will won't put on that list, the libraries and the school systems and the waterways and radio waves and, and whatever else. And so when that shift happens and when you think that way, you, you take care of things differently. Yeah. Um, you just do, you, you think of it differently. You think of your way of owner ownership is different. And so the idea of the civic health club is like, and again, I don't know if it's a good way of describing it, but it's like when you go to a gym, you want to feel better and you want to see results. And so it's like, well, how do we do that? in our civic life. Cause I think it is important, but how do you do it where you're not, um, where you can see results, but like, it doesn't sound like such utter, just boring crap. Yeah. That's, that was, I mean, that's essentially what it, what it is and what it was. Well, and when you get into it, it is actually fascinating. And this is one of the reasons I was, I wanted to talk to you is because part of my job is being civically engaged. Like it's my job to sort of understand the lay of the land of the government and how it works. And, you know, people don't understand at the county level there are elected county commissioners, but there are also appointed planning commissioners. And if you're getting some sort of project approved, you have to go through the planning commission, then you have to go through the county commission. Now, hearing myself describe that and picturing when I describe that to other people, their eyes start to roll back in their yeah. head, right? They start to glaze over. But it's like if you lose sight of how this process actually works and how the sort of public engagement works and how you get a social license to operate, even if you're a business right? You, you don't have a good sense for that. Getting people engaged in that, I think, is a noble goal. I, I mean, very much so. So you started this in 2012, yeah. right? Yeah, late, late 2012. Okay. What was it like starting something like this? And when you told people about it, how did you sell it to them? <laughs> it was nebulous at first. I mean, so I've been working at the theater, I've, you know, been a part of uh, Bumpport Theater for a long time. And uh, at the time, I was really... 
I just was like, it felt like we were reenacting a lot. And by we, I mean just people working for different change in the community, um, working on uh, issues for, for immigrant rights, for um, like against kind of police brutality, mm-hmm. and then um, larger things nationally, you know, anti-war stuff, whatever it might be. A lot, you know, if you were in Denver and you're involved in a lot of these things, at some point you are invited to go to the west steps of the Capitol for yep. a rally. And we say, hey, hey, ho, ho this thing's got to go that we don't like. And it just feels, I I honestly thought about it. I was like, if there was a civil war reenactment going on, how would that change for people driving by and walking by? If there were civil war reenactors here. And I thought pretty little, like there'd be very, someone would turn and say, Whoa, there's civil war reenactors. So they would get that little, Whoa. Whereas with anyone protesting, it would be like, Oh, there are people protesting. I wonder something what they're else. protesting. Yeah. And Or maybe not even that. Yeah. And I think the other thing that I want to underscore is like for me, the first question always has been, and I think always should be, what is right? What's what's the right thing to do? Mm-hmm. Because I've been the only person on the side of a road with a sign, and I thought I was right and I was doing it. And I'll and the second question is effectiveness. Was that effective? Mm-hmm. No, probably not. But when those questions are reversed, it leads to people being passive. Mm. Be, usually. Because if you think about it, most everyone, you've got an issue that you are really passionate about. Right. And then when you start thinking, well, what can I do about it? Then you start saying, well, I'm not the right person or it's not the right time or I don't have the right solution or all these things. Or the mountain is too tall. Yeah, exactly. And so, and so I wanted to dig into the question of effectiveness mm-hmm. without losing sight of doing what's right. And so anyways, I, I, <laughs> I just was like, how can I merge these two worlds that I'm in? Because we create a bunch of theater. And now that I'm not working there, I can say it's good. It's really good theater. And a lot of people come. And at the time in Denver too, or in the, the preceding sort of, I don't know, 10 years or so, the music scene was getting bigger, the comedy scene, the, the just the arts in general. And uh, people would show up for that stuff, but they're not really showing up in general for a lot of these crucial issues. Mm -hmm. So I was like, all right, I want to merge them, but I don't want to make cute puppets for protests. (laughs) Right. Right? That there's something that's good about that too, but I want to stop pushing people. Um, I don't want to be a guy who goes into a, like a a sports bar and tells people they need to save the whales. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Like that's, it's ridiculous, but I do want to go in because I like sports and I want to go into a sports bar and be like, talk, you know, talk with folks and be like, Hey, and get into an issue that way. Right. So that was kind of it. How can, how can we pull in and to recognize that we're, we are in this together and we do have connections and, uh, and let's make it fun. That was the first thing. It was just like, let's, I, the competition we have is TV, movies, shopping, sports. So instead of trying to best them at what they do, let's at least incorporate it. Yeah. Let's appropriate them in some way. Yeah. And, and, you know, appropriate has sort of a negative connotation. And I don't mean it to have that in this case. But how do you take elements of that? What something on your website you mentioned was uh you mentioned fantasy football, mm-hmm. which fantasy football is something that I've never played. Mm-hmm. But when I see people talk about it, I go, you guys have created your own society essentially. Yeah. And there are rules and there are power structures and there are, you know, there's jockeying for position and there's gamesmanship and there's all sorts. I'm like, you've created your own sort of government. Mm-hmm. And so to that end, I think you use that example to illustrate like, hey, you can apply these skills and it doesn't have to be the laborious slog 
that you're picturing actual government to be. But if we get together and put our collective brain power and you use these same muscles, we can get a result that actually matters to a great deal of people. Yeah. Is that a fair way of characterizing yeah, it? Yeah, totally. And even just a like a, a underlying thing there, which is these are smart, interesting people who work and raise kids. Yeah. And they have limited time and limited money. And so they're spending it on what interests them mm-hmm. um, after they spend it on what's necessary. And so – you know, it takes a lot of time and energy. Anyone that plays that, that that's what they yeah. do. And so it's not like, hey, jerks, you could be going to city council meetings right now and using this. No, it's like, all right, cool. That's what you do. Yeah. And do you do care about where your kid goes to school or the air quality or something else like that? There are ways that, that we can use that ingenuity. And I don't fault individuals doing this. There's multi-billion dollar companies who have told us that we should watch sports, which I do, and play fantasy. I play fantasy British Premier League soccer, so I'm a bit more refined, of course. <laughs> Clearly. Um, but, uh, but uh, you know, they, they, these industries have told us to do that. What Where I put the fault is on letting our system be what it is, mm. which is telling people essentially, look, we have trained people, yeah, really good, nice, smart, trained people who are doing the best they can and we'll figure it out and we'll do it for you. And I think that that is, that's poisonous ultimately because it's saying Mm. you don't get it or you don't have time or don't care. And I just don't think that that's true. When you think of every piece of change that has helped humanity, like human beings, it's been, I'm going to sound like that Margaret Mead quote, but it's been because a thoughtful committed group, blah, 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 blah. But, but it's true. I mean, that's, that's a true thing. And, um, it's it's been a small a minority of people pushing and saying things need to look differently yeah and, and so it gives me hope because we don't need every broncos fan in the stadium and watching on tv to do something we just need a percentage of those that say they care to to act like they care yeah so when you started this and you wanted it to be fun what did the organization look like? You said it was a little bit more, uh, I think you said nebulous. So how did you get it rolling? And P.S., I mean, this is your sort of day job, yeah. right? Um, how do you get funding for something like this? Yeah. Like how, how do you support yourself and how do you support the organization? So in the beginning, it, those are great. Those are essential questions because I talk with people a lot about about this kind of thing. And a lot of times um, nonprofits tell like a BS. Are you? Or can we curse on this? Uh, oh, yeah, of course. Um, then the I'll internet. say, I'll say BS. No, <laughs> um, <laughs> that was great misdirection. Thanks so much. Uh, yeah, it, no, they, they're, they tell a bullshit story. Um, usually cause there's always like, there's wealthy benefactors, not on every of obviously not every group, but anyways. So when it started, I had this idea and the original idea was actually, I wanted to have a space, like an actual location. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but that's something that people could taste a little bit. And so I was letting people know, like, I want to dig into this stuff and I want to do it fun. And the way that I started was just starting. So, yep. <laughs> so we just, um, like I, the first thing was a game night and just invited people that I knew. Uh, and I was like, yeah, tell anyone come play games and we're going to, we're going to talk about what this could be. And then the second thing was a letter writing night. Mm. And again, it was easy because that's all it was. And we, but we got pretty like low overhead, super low overhead. <laughs> and we got a, uh, some folks who do letters to prisoners, political prisoners, um, a city council person's aide, and uh, oh, someone at the Denver Post to yeah. talk about the effectiveness of writing letters. Yeah. All of them, and it was cool because the political prisoners group. The what was effective about that was like a very human thing. 
they learned they could support. From the city council person, their aide, it was very clear. If you want to get something done specific, not just gripe, but mm. like, hey, I need this pothole filled or I need X, Y, Z, do not write me a letter. Send me an email is what they said. There you go. It'll get done. We can get it to the correct people. And then the the letter to the editor, uh, uh, the person from the post, was just kind of giving ideas of like – why it's good and you should keep it short and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. But we talked about that concept. Anyways, we did those and then we did other ones. We did these first few ones. Didn't cost anything really. Very, very little. Um, and were you just doing this sort of as a, a more or less side hustle at the time? Oh yeah. This, I mean this, it was literally just, Hey, let's try this out. Yeah. And then, um, and then I pitched a couple people that I knew that I had sort of built relationships with at the theater and, and which was delicate too, because, like I did a lot of fundraising for the theater and I, I couldn't go and like steal those people. Yeah. So I had to be like, Hey, I'm doing, I'm I want to do this different thing, but if it ever impacts how you would donate to the theater now or in the future, don't, don't do it. Yeah. Um, but I went to a couple folks who I thought would be interested and, and asked them if they would support. And then the other main thing was I got offered a job doing some organizing for this national, like social and economic justice group mm -hmm. in the Jewish community. And I'm not used to getting paid a lot of money. So they were paying me, for half time, which was like a full-time job. Yeah. And it only took me about a quarter of my time. <laughs> so like I was doing some Robin hooding there. And then I think what was helpful was very quickly. I got press. I think cause there was enough of a like, Hey, Evan's part of Buntport and Buntport is, you know, at a, at a certain level that at least they get written about in the paper. Sure. So I got publicity. And this was when we still had some newspapers. Oh, good lord! Uh, and then, uh, and then the city caught on pretty damn quick. They were going to open up the McNichols building, and they were trying to get people to use it and to do creative things. And so they let me start using that um, nice that building. So, so it was a mixture of like getting some people who had some money to back it. Yeah, a job that was letting me do this. And at first, I should say I went part time at the theater. Yeah. Anyways. That, for those of you keeping track. Um, <laughs> for your scorecard. Yeah, home. yeah. What was he doing in 2012? <laughs> so yeah, anyways, that that's kind of the thing. Is it, it was It's a mixture of that. And how I'm able to do it now, it's built up. I have a lot of people who give a little bit of money. Oh, cool. Every right. month. And then I have, I've had a few larger donors and we've been lucky. What we're doing is now, hip, it won't be in a couple of years. That is the way that funding goes. Right. And I'm well aware of that. And so, but we've gotten a couple really big grants for some stuff we're doing. What I'm trying to figure out now is how do we keep this going? Yeah. Uh, like, do, is there a way we can get a revenue stream? Because all of our stuff's free. Um, we've suggested donations. Sure. Um, and so it's not a good business model. Like, if you're a business person, we're, we're going to die. <laughs> right. But, you know, most ideas that, that matter. They, they start out, first of all, because no one's doing them, they start out as sort of crazy. It's like, well, that's never going to work because, you know, no one's ever done that before. And you go, well, that's the start of every great idea. So, okay, try again. But once you get to a certain point where it almost becomes a thing, like once it becomes a thing that exists, you're right. It becomes less sexy, mm -hmm. you know? So how do you evolve the situation? How do you keep it vital? How do you keep it vibrant? How do you... How do you keep it going? And that, to me, it's always 
easier to be the underdog. And I wouldn't say you guys are by any stretch like a monolith. You know, like you're, you're not like the big, big thing in town. <laughs> but once you get to a certain level, you almost have to redefine success. And you have to redefine how you get a path forward. Because if you think back to when you started, and I actually just interviewed a band. And he said, your first sort of goal as a band is to play a show. <laughs> and then eventually you check that goal off the list, right? And then, you know, it's like, oh, well, maybe if we got paid for a show. And then, you know, what if we played outside our hometown? And these goals just keep going uh, up and up. So at this point, now having done this for five plus years, what are the goals that sort of are in front of you? Yeah. I'm trying to figure that out at this exact moment. I've been having conversations with people and I've been thinking about it and I didn't sleep last night because of that. Like when in the beginning it was super clear. And, and, and because it's clear, it can be infectious. I can talk to someone I'm like, yeah, man, we need a place. We need a place and a space where we can get together and do this. And it's not going to be boring, man. Yeah. And, you know, like everyone wants to talk about this stuff and we need to connect. And, you know, there's like, there's ways you can do it. That was like, that was a thing. And then once we started doing it and it was working, then people knew, oh, oh this is what you do. Mm-hmm. And then we had like, a new idea of a program that did we did for like a year and a half. And that, again, you could smell it. You could taste it. Yeah. And where I'm at right now is we're sort of plateaued. And I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing. Mm. Uh, there's a guy I know. He put it to me. He was he runs a big institution in town. And he was like, yeah, you have to decide if you want to be a cowboy or an institution. And I thought, the mm. well, the metaphor is a little muddled. But I still think that like the, the idea makes sense to me because it's scary when you – when you grow being responsible for other people's like rent livelihoods. Yeah. yeah. That's like, that's not a f- good feeling. A lot of times I'd love to have insurance, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, like there are things I love, but like I'm, I'm, there's no way I would complain about that. But those things are in, in order to do more and better. I would love to have more people who are great at what they do and yeah. specialize. Um, but in order to get them, I need to – it's a double-edged sword. So I don't know. I think for me the goals coming up are how can I make it last mm-hmm. and potentially grow? But what does that look like? I am against the idea that growth is necessary. I mean we at the theater here, we always talked about it. There's so many people who have never heard of or been to Buntport Theater yeah. and just in this region. Right. And so a lot in of this city. Yeah. People who, who come are all, you know, when, especially when we're first starting, cause we do quirky, you know, funky, fun stuff. People would say like, Oh my God, you're so great. You're so funny. Why aren't you in New York or LA or something like that? And we're like, cause we want to be here. Yeah. This is a cool spot and we get to do everything, mm-hmm. right? Direct, act, build sets, anything we want. It, that's a cool thing. You don't get to do that if you move to LA. You, you just become an actor. Uh, or um, you, yeah, you become like a cog in a much larger machine. Yeah. And that's not how everyone's wired. Yeah. And so with warm cookies, there's a similar thing where I've, I've been, you know, I get contacted from other cities and other towns and I've gone to some other places to, to talk about what we do and it's cool. It's gratifying and it's, it's flattering, but the, they'll say, well, how can we do it? How can we bring it here? And my response is normally, I don't know. You're welcome to try. Um, here's, I, I don't know your city, man. Yeah, exactly. It's like, and I, what I don't want to ever be is like a, a, a Chipotle of civic engagement. Um, <laughs> I just, it's, it's gross to me, but I do think we've come up with some stuff that can be helpful. Sure. But so that's one way, like maybe there's that, maybe there's, we've flirted with the idea of, of getting, just having a straight business, like selling cookies or cookie dough that someone runs. And it's Mm -hmm. like a, like Paul Newman has that for his stuff and the money just goes back and funds this, but I'm not running that. I ain't doing that. So 
That ain't uh, your skill set. Yeah, exactly. So um, it's, it's just to pause for a sec. That's yeah. like this show. They're like, man, you should sell T-shirts and like <laughs> merchandise on this show. And I go, I'm not a fucking T-shirt maker, man. Yeah. Like I, I don't know how to do that. Nor do I want to learn. Yeah. Like so, if someone wants to come in and run that for me, yeah, exactly. that's an invitation right here. Yep. If you want to come and do that and run my T-shirt business, I'm not having boxes <laughs> in my garage. Yeah. Okay. Like I, I'm not running a shipping company. Yep. So I, I feel it, you. It's on the exact that. same thing. It's, it is. It's like, and that's a crazy idea. Like someone should go make a cookie company and give us all the money. But, uh, but that is, I mean, it's an idea, but, um, yeah. And so I don't know. I don't know the next things. I think, I guess I should pause and say the point of all this is there's a recognition of what the status quo is right now mm-hmm. is unjust. Uh, it's racist. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, sexist it's classist all those isms that we know of like they are that is the world we live in here and i think it's actually even harder in a place where we are in some ways than than if we were in a city that was some like divided uh republican democrat divided city I, you know i always think that like the 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 complete displacement gentrification the the colonization that is going on in this city it's being led by tolerant in a sense like uh, uh, tolerant of gay people uh environmental loving moderate democrats right but there is still a seduction of our economic system that that is complete and so we can we're wiping out a huge section of our city we working class folks it's very hard to live in the city um people of color and so I, I'm saying that because there is so much work to be done here mm-hmm. and to find out, well, who's already doing it, who's been doing it. And I think that that's been a, a big part of what I've been trying to do is like this pause, not a pause, but like a, is like a, hold on a second. Where has this city been and how did it get that way? I think that way in a spatial, like almost in a map way, I remember looking and seeing like, wow, all those big parks are on the east side of town, City Park and Cheeseman and, and Wash Park. Yeah. Interesting. Why? Right? And then when you go and you look at the north side and you look at the west side and you talk with people there and you see when there's a park and when there's a rec center, when there's a library, and then you find out, well, when did they come and how? Mm. Well, people push for them. And what people? Like over there where I was talking about, the Chicano movement pushed for a lot of that. And before then, the Italians you know, established uh, uh, La Raza slash Columbus Park, right? So you have these groups – that again took this civic mindset that we're like, hey, we're the we're the downtrodden here, and we're sick of it, and we deserve, and our kids deserve the same stuff. So, I think learning those lessons about where we have been would maybe make it different for someone who lives here or moves here when they say, well, you know, look, I couldn't afford to move in the, to this neighborhood, so I live in this neighborhood, and yeah. why are you mad at me? Like I get it, I'm, you know, right? So I think that you've heard that a lot. But if why you, are you mad at me? That's but, interesting. Yeah, totally. <laughs> but if you talk to folks who've been in the, in these neighborhoods and have a, a legacy there, you know, they they would say, well, one, why did you move here? What what made you want to not be where you're from? That's mm-hmm. one thing. But the second thing would be like, how come you're not shopping at my at this store that my grandmother started and works at, or you're not eating this food? You're going to the new coffee shop or whatever it might be. Or the way in which you're sort of occupying the space and and demanding changes 
in this park or in this area or at the school, it's showing that you, you don't know where we've been or what we've done. Right. And so anyways, I think that that like, this is a weird way around to what are the goals? The goals, I mean, there's so much more work to be done here yeah. um, to learn from other folks and to, and to keep pushing on and to just challenge for me, like creatively to challenge, to be like, all right, how we go about this differently? Because there is a, I don't know the word for it. There's like a sternness. I don't even know if that's a word Mm. in, in today's sort of life and discourse, which makes people retreat. Yeah. And I think that should be where anyone, I don't care where, where you fall in an issue. If, if, if what you're doing or how you're doing it makes people who could be your ally retreat, I think there's a different way to do it. And that's different than saying like, you have to push for things to change. You have to push the status quo and the people in power. You have to demand it and push for it. This is different than that. This is like, there is a sternness that somehow I am seeing from people who know everything because we live in an age where everyone knows everything, but I don't know that everyone is doing and and I would say people don't spend enough time with those they disagree with. And that to me, I love talking to people that I don't necessarily agree with because I will learn something from them. And even if I don't walk away agreeing with them, and the chances of that are probably pretty high, yeah. you know, because people have entrenched beliefs to whatever extent, you know, some beliefs are malleable. Some are like, no, I know this in my core. Mm-hmm. But if you spend some time with someone just honestly and just exchanging, yeah. You can you can evolve your worldview in a much more positive way, and I'm so sick of the tribalism too, the the entrenched sort of I'm right, and I it's not even that I want to win, it's that I want the other side to lose, mm-hmm. and that to me is just enormously dispiriting. So mm-hmm. you know when you talk about warm cookies, you go everyone loves a cookie, mm-hmm. right? So come in and let's talk about this. Let's do this in a fun way. Mm-hmm. One question that I have for you, based on sort of what you were just describing, is. Does the organization have like an overt political bent? And if not, how do you sort of avoid putting people off with, with sort of an overt yeah. partisan stance? So things, the, everything comes with our bias, which would be my bias or like Chris who works with me some or volunteers of the board. Um, but right. I, and I'll, I'll give a shout out to Chris as well. Who, yeah helped facilitate this. I met him because he was wearing an obscure wrestling shirt in a coffee <laughs> shop. And I go, there's no way this exists in real life. <laughs> and then it did. And I go, this is perfect. This is someone I have to talk to. Yeah. So Chris gets in, uh, is a wrestling freak. He's a, a super freak. Yeah. And so am I. So great. Uh, I, I, I'm glad you all exist and it's fun <laughs> to talk to people who I don't understand. <laughs> exactly. I learn from you. Um, so yeah, I, so I have a bias. I'm, upfront about it and, um, and it comes out in programming. So when we do something about, um, welcoming, welcoming folks back into the community who are getting out of prison, Mm -hmm. that, that shows a bias, just that, that title, the things we focus on, um, there's a huge bias. Um, and so I'd say a lot of what I'm trying to do is to get what I see as more, like I said, a majority of the Denver area, which is a, a majority sort of moderate progressive Democrats. Okay. In theory, I want them to move to be more radical. So radically left. Okay. So, so you're not, you're not, uh, you're not trying to be all things, all people. No, no. But that being said, it's a civic health club. And in the beginning, we, 
we reached out, part of it was like, because I fundamentally do think that like, and this is a conservative idea. This is like old, I don't know, John Stuart Mill or something that like the best ideas will rise to the top and they will be persuasive and sort of meritocracy at its core. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or, or just an idea that like people speaking from their experience um, and getting to know them is going to allow you to have an, a human experience. And it is harder to oppress someone when you know them. It doesn't mean it can't happen, right. but like you're, you're less likely once I find out about you and your, your two kids. And then I hear your dumb political right. opinion. I'm less likely to tell you to, you know, Hey, you should go kill yourself. Like we right. do on the internet. I might be like, wow, that's crazy, man. We should talk a little bit more. I think that is stupid. Yeah. But so anyways, I, I, we, we would invite right wing folks and libertarians and Republicans. And, and, um, so we'd have them up on stage, so to speak. And we still invite folks, but it's, they're less interested in coming, but it, it does come from that place of like, this is your community. Well, this happens to be a community that is who I've just described. Mm -hmm. If we went and did more stuff in Colorado Springs, it would look different. Or, or if they created a civic health club there, yeah. it would look different. I don't think it would be called warm cookies of the revolution. And I think what they choose to do would be different. But I ultimately think that if people who are most affected by policies and decisions are creating them or have a say in them, then they're better. Mm. And so if that's conservative down there, then that's conservative. But so the bent is definitely, um, and you, and you may not want to live there, you know, like depending on the sort of society that they envision that, you know, people get together and they go, let's make this in our ideal image. Yeah. Right. It doesn't necessarily like not every community is going to be, ideally suited for every person mm -hmm. but if the people who are most affected by it as you say and have a more active role in creating it rather than this sort of our you know our government has evolved to, into something of an oligarchy and you're not enacting policies from the top down but rather from the bottom up no matter what the bottom looks like what it constitutes it's going to be a more honest representation is that fair to say i, I think so and i think that ultimately i think we're sort of in this we're in this place where I think we need more of that first to then get to where the a lot more of the faults of democracy. Like I don't think democracy is some finished product, perfect system. Right. When I lived in Colorado Springs, I did not have representation in Congress. I don't think I have great representation in Congress now, but ultimately on a lot of stuff, yeah, I do. Sure. Yep. Please save, save the environment a little bit more, you know, what, whatever these things are. Um, but yeah, I check a few boxes. Yeah, check right? some of those things. But like, um, you know, we don't have a, a right wing reactionary representative. It, when I was in Colorado Springs, we did that. That that seat is a it's a defense contractor uh, essentially, and so that is a, that's a bad system to to if you are in a minority to literally have no representation. So I don't think that it's perfected, and it's and it should just be like, well, this over here is a conservative place, and if you want to live there, live there, and if not, move. Mm -hmm. I don't think that that is. I don't think that's the end goal, but I think we have a lot of steps to get to in creating a civic culture to where we do recognize that we own the community. And then once that process is there and we learn that we have to talk, we have to make decisions, we have to make concessions, then you're going to start to learn and figure out that we're in it together. When we did a thing with Warm Cookies where we, we were looking at a different neighborhood every every month mm. and looking at the history and the current issues and, and the arts and culture there – that started the reason why we even did that was I was sitting in a coffee shop in uh, Park Hill 
and there was a map on the wall and you've probably seen it around Denver. It, it's like a cool design map. Yeah. It has all the neighborhood names and yeah, with like a weird sort of like, uh, like nonlinear font, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah there's just like, uh, you know, one neighborhood name will be, you know, going, uh, yeah, it's like vertical. crammed into these spaces. Yes. Yeah. So it's like, it's cute and you've seen it. Um, but I looked at it and I was like, whoa, it was missing like eight or nine neighborhoods that I could see right off the bat. Mm. And then the ones that it was missing by and large were poor neighborhoods, black and brown neighborhoods. And I was like, why? I honestly was like, why, why is that like that? And the only things I could come up with was the person did the best they could from their knowledge and kudos. They did a good job. Sure. Kind of. Um, <laughs> or they were looking at a map and they had a design in mind and they needed to cut. But either way, it was totally fucked up because it shows, well, these are – these parts of the city I don't know or or are not important enough. Mm. And if you ask that same person, you're like, oh, you need to cut cut Capitol Hill, uh, Baker, and I don't know, some hip neighborhood. They would be like, well, we're not going to cut yeah. those. But if, if you live in these other neighborhoods, you'd feel the same way. So it was coming from this same place of like, you know, if you don't know that this neighborhood exists – then when we get into conversations about where we're going to allocate money mm. and you're telling me that your biggest thing is that half your neighborhood does not have sidewalks like in one of the neighborhoods that's not on there, Swansea. Right. If I don't know you exist, then then how am I going to care? And why would I give any – why would I advocate for any money yeah. to go there? Because my job as a, as a citizen um, or part of my group that's advocating for bike lanes – that's what I'm going to try to advocate for. But if we know each other and we know that other things exist, then when it gets there, we might be like, all right, you know what? We came here to advocate for bike lanes, but that is totally screwed up. Yeah. Okay. We're going to concede a little bit. So I think we have to build that civic culture, yeah. that mindset. And then we'll get to a place where we can be like, where we can deal with, all right, crazy Ted is the only one. We've got a thousand to one vote, but crazy Ted says X, Y, Z. And, and how do we deal with crazy Ted? Because crazy Ted matters as well. And I think the right. idea that, that majorities are somehow inherently better is wrong hmm. and is bad and it, it, it doesn't work. I don't think that that has worked. Interesting. In terms of the ultimate fix for that, you know, it's, it, it's interesting because majority rule is basically the fundamental tenet of democracy. So, I mean, are you talking about sort of a fundamental undoing of democracy? I get – I mean, in some ways, I th I think that conscience is important. <laughs> and I think that – so I get – you know, again, I'm talking about steps here. I would like us to become more democratic and then I would like once we get there to um, – because that, that might do a little bit more for justice. And then I think that we also need to uh, recognize – uh, conscience and, and I, I don't know a better way to put it, but I just think that like, um, you know, if we, if there was a vote to take away all of the stop signs in Denver right now, hmm. I, my guess is that it would fail 95%. Right. Um, so if I'm in the 5% that lost that I really want stop signs to go, if I just say, okay, well I lost then I, how much did I care about that? Hmm. If, if I would lose and I would say, all right, well, that I lost that way. Or if I don't even get, I can't even get on the ballot or I can't, you know what I mean? And, and I think that, I think that that's what you've seen throughout time is 
minority voices, whatever that might be, whatever the, the minority um, opinion or experience might be, whether this be class-based or racially based or, or, or pol- political thought-based, whatever it is, that that place is uh, – it's an important place, especially if it is something um, that is conscience-based. And that is a weird thing in some ways to say, but I think it's important because mm. laws are made by human beings and they're – we have all sorts of crappy laws. So <laughs> um, the fact that a law exists does not make it good mm. and the fact that a majority – does something it doesn't i don't know i don't think that it i don't think that that necessarily there's i don't think there's there's necessarily virtue there 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 may not be virtue but i think the argument that people would make is that it is probably not the most practical but the least impractical mm-hmm. you know what i mean yeah. and and there's there's certainly a practicality element for that because Without that, then you have anarchy, and that's that's a system that is largely untenable. If if you can if you can get a majority of people to say, okay, let's do it this way, at least you have a path to where there is some order and people can function without the, the existential fear that nothing matters, right? That there are no rules, that there are that there is no structure, that even if a bunch of people have agreed, then that doesn't matter. So you know what I mean? Yeah, oh, I, I definitely know what you mean. I think, uh, and and like I said, I mean, there there is there is a lot to it that makes lots of sense and where I support, I think, and I don't want to get to like specific word choice, things like that, but I think that like anarchy, anarchy in the way that we think of it, of like, ah, yeah, yeah. Like, that, like the that, purge. Yeah, yeah, uh, that I'm not interested in, but like, um, uh, having people sort of organize organize themselves. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I think you can get all sorts of creativity that can come out of that and all sorts of different ways of thinking. Right. But, but, no, I, but no. I also think about like there's never been a vote on drones. Hmm. Okay? So representatives, presidents, uh, bureaucrats, they, they have – this has sort of been invented and started and happened and funded and gone. I haven't been able to weigh in <laughs> right. through some any kind of legislative channel. Interesting. So, and I find that to be disgusting. Like dr- drone warfare. Oh, okay. I'm saying specifically, um, like we're killing people by remote control. Right. And so, where 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 am I left? What can I do? And so, if that legislative process is um, is not open, well, then where? How do we deal with those things? And I think that's for a lot of pretty deep moral issues. So I think that like government and legislative process and and voting and things like this, um, the democratic process works for a lot of it, for right. a lot of good yeah, things. Absolutely. But but I think for a lot of things, it's the it is literally the slowest to change. It is always the 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 senators who voted in the Civil Rights Act, nineteen sixty four didn't just wake up and were like, oh, you know what we should do, <laughs> right? They were pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed for years. And yeah. so um, that is what interests me more in, in a this the civic ideas, less actually about government, more about how do we govern ourselves? How do we care yeah. about each other? How do we own our community? That makes a lot of sense to me. Um, and to me, that's fantastic. What is next for you guys? What's immediately next? I know we had talked a little bit about you know, ultimately, where do you go? And your your thing about being a cowboy or an institution, 
that's something that resonates with me because I'm sort of a, a solo gunner on myself. I have my consulting company and I've never wanted employees, but you'll find your ceiling. Mm -hmm. You know, you'll find like, you go, Oh, I've reached the upper limit of my bandwidth. Mm -hmm. Um, and I can't take on anymore. So it's like, do I grow or do I, do I stay? Yeah. And there's certainly merit in either choice, but, and I just wanted to touch on that from like many, many minutes ago, <laughs> but, uh, just because that stuck with me, I've never heard it phrased exactly that way. And, uh, I subcontracted through another, another firm and he said, you're finding that lemon, aren't you? And I go, I am. Mm -hmm. So anyway, so what's immediately next for you guys? What do you got coming up? Like programs coming up? Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not even sure when exactly this is going to air, Okay, but, um, let's, you know what? Let's do plugs. This right, is the time I'll, on the show when we do plugs. I'll tell you the next couple, th next few things coming up. May 17th is, uh, it's our thing called Stupid Questions, Stupid Talents. And this one is looking at what does it mean to be a man? Um, oh, great topic. So, yeah. So we've got, um, uh, let's see, there's a former, uh, Denver Bronco, Ryan Harris, uh, a couple drag performances, uh, from two drag queens and one drag king. Nice. We have folks from like all these different perspectives who each, you know, this is all again, just a couple minutes from everyone. A guy who works with uh, uh, like a gang reduction program with youth um, who does um, rites of passage rituals. I may have said that word wrong. Essentially, like think of quinceanera or bar mitzvahs and things like yeah. that. Um, we have um, uh, someone who's been in the military and is from uh, uh, Iraq. Um, we have uh, a woman who paints. Uh, she's from uh, Five Points and she paints. A lot of her stuff is on m young black men. Um, we have, we just have, uh, there's a bunch, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm skipping a bunch of people, but, um, and, but that's what we're going to talk about is like, why do men commit most violence? That one there is one of these programs where I don't, we might be short on answers. We try to start everything with like, well, what's going on mm -hmm. and what, you know, what do we want? And then we end with, uh, what can we do? Mm -hmm. And sometimes we're short on that and sometimes we're long on that. So that's okay. Yeah. That's May 17th. Um, June 24th, um, we're doing a thing called artsy fartsy, which is, uh, we're going to have fake Ted talks, um, <laughs> beautiful, which, which are, will be, and this is in collaboration with Buntport and with, um, a couple poets in town, Bobby Lefebri and, uh, Tolo Anibi Obiwole. Um, and, uh, they're going to do some real one, not Ted talks, but like that style. Yeah. And then we'll have some fake ones and it's looking at art and art, how it can be completely liberating and also art washing and art. Like uh, my buddy Jolt calls uh street art, the, the wallpaper of gentrification. He's, he's a graffiti artist uh -huh. and he sees like, you know, people you contract to someone making like this cute, beautiful mural, which takes a lot of skill and dedication. I'm not kind of shitting on them, but, um, but it's, you know, they did it at the highway and I 70, uh, the viaduct that they're displacing people and they're going to tear it down. But they essentially, the city pays for artists to go and paint there to make it beautiful. And they're going to, while they're kicking people out and they're going to displace it, you right. know, it's, 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 it can be used as a weapon. Mm. Um, so we're looking at that and, and kind of making fun of Ted talks cause they can be really amazing and just the worst. Just as a former public speaking instructor, I have both a deep appreciation for Ted talks because it has elevated uh, people's thinking about public speaking, but as a form, it's so shitty. Yeah. Like it's, it's just, it's embarrassing because like it's a template, mm -hmm. right? I mean, it's, it's an absolute template. It, I could write you a Ted talk right now mm -hmm. 
almost in my sleep because you know it's like oh start with a start with the beginning of a wraparound story <laughs> then make your point and then you know you go into the depths a little bit then you swell and then you finish the wraparound story and you go like that if, if if you have any skill at this like it's art in a box yeah, essentially exactly that it's so that's why we are busting on that's it. fucking perfect um and uh and then the other thing I'd mention is uh, – well, two other things, and these are further along. So the, the one is – it's going to be September, October. We're going to do with the C Film Center um, five Wednesdays in a row. We're going to be showing an episode of um, – one episode from a different season of The Wire. Did mm. you ever watch that show? Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, and we're going to have different folks from in town who deal with those issues. Nice. Um, uh, and that should be fun. And then also probably some performers. But before that, in August – It'll be generally August 16 to 21. We are creating a um, – uh, it's the culmination of this two-year project on this boring thing called participatory budgeting. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the show is called This Machine Has a Soul, and we have created already a bunch of these machines that explain how budgets and governments work. Nice. Um, and we're going to – in this two-story garage in Swansea where we're doing some stuff there um, – we're going to make this machine and build kind of a choose your own adventure theater show essentially nice. with all these performers. So um, those are the things that are coming up. That's cool. And then yeah. where, uh, where can people get in touch if they want to attend these things? Yeah. Where do they find you on the web, social uh, media, wherever? Yeah. Uh, warm cookies of the revolution.org, uh, Facebook, warm cookies of the revolution. I think those are probably the two best ways or email. You can email anything at warm cookies of the revolution.org will come to me. Awesome. <laughs> Well, I'll tell you what, Evan, this was uh, enormously entertaining, enormously enlightening. And, uh, you know, I, I I appreciate what you guys are doing. So I wish you continued success. Hey, right back at you. I'm rubber. You're glue. <laughs> <laughs> Never had anyone respond to that that way. Well played. <laughs> okay. Thanks. <laughs> That wraps up episode 177 of the John of All Trades podcast with Evan Weissman, the founder of Warm Cookies of the Revolution. Check them out on the web. You can find their links at the John of All Trades companion blog piece that goes along with this episode, jonofalltrades.us. We're also on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Pinterest, Instagram, all under the same handle, J-O-A-T-Pod. New episode previews go up only on Facebook on Mondays. New episodes drop on Wednesdays, iTunes, Stitcher, and the homepage. The John of All Trades podcast is a production of Deft Communications. Check out Deft on the web, D-E-F-T-C-O-M dot U-S. And our sponsor is 4Degree, the number 4, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. Anything you were doing online, if you were trying to reach people, 4Degrees can help you do it better and do it for a cost that is better than almost anyone out there. I promise you that. They do incredible, award-winning work, and I'm proud to feature them as the sponsor of the John of All Trades podcast. That's the number four, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. I'm back here next week. The content train just keeps on rolling. It has been a lot of fun this spring. There are times where you are flush with guests and you go, man, it's like manna from heaven. So let's keep it rolling. I'll have a brand new episode up here next week. And until I hear you back here then, say goodnight, Gracie. That's good, Johnny. The John of All Trades podcast is a part of the Denver Podcast Network. In the shadow of the mountains, we speak. speak.